Yo, this is Rob Harvilla from 60 Saws That Explain the 90s, the world's greatest loopy and perverse and inaccurately named music nostalgia podcast. We're doing 90 songs now because there's too many songs. Pearl Jam, Jay-Z, Jewel, U2, Cher, Hootie. These are just some of the names people yell at me on the internet because we're back. More great songs, more rad special guests, more loopy perversity. Join us once more on 60 Songs That Explain the 90s every Wednesday on Spotify. This episode is brought to you by Indeed. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Ringer NFL. Just go to Indeed.com slash Ringer NFL right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This episode is brought to you by Modelo. What does a true fan look like? It's cheering the loudest. It's never missing a game, no matter what. And for that, you deserve an ice cold reward because you are a fighter and Modelo is your reward. Modelo, the mark of a fighter. Shop delivery or pickup options near you at ordermodelo.com. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Imports, Chicago, Illinois. Welcome to the Ringer NFL Preview Show. My name is Danny Heifetz. I am joined by Ben Solak and Steven Ruiz. We're coming to you every Friday to preview the weekend's NFL games. And first up, we have the game plan where Solak and Steven are going to break down the biggest game of the week. Here's the thing. This week, we couldn't even decide. We have Chiefs, Bengals. We have Dolphins, 49ers. We just did both. We're going to the double bill, double header. Two games of the week. We're going to start with the Chiefs, Bengals one. Steven, you're going to be Andy Reid and the Chiefs. That makes sense because he Solak cannot grow must like facial hair, so that's why he's Zach Taylor in the Bengals. Why? Yeah, to... I just I just get all of the young, generic looking white coaches now, which I'm fine with. Mm. That's that's on brand. I accept. Mm. That's your dream is to one day become a generic white coach. So we're like letting you live out your dream. I'd be a great assistant defensive backs coach. I would have so much fun ruining like a talented offense. Like we'd go, we'd get, like my dream would be like going like 10 and six, but we still kind of like Zach Taylor making the Super Bowl, but everyone knows you stink. And I'm like, I don't care. Zach Taylor. I'm, I'm okay. I'm, 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 there's a defense for Zach Taylor coming. I'm going to get into this section though. Oh, He's God. arrow up on Zach. All right. So, well, speaking of which, so the Chiefs, they're nine and two. They're at Cincinnati this week and the Chiefs are giving, or the Chiefs are giving two and a half points. So obviously, this is a rematch of the AFC championship game. So Chiefs Bengals, first half, Chiefs are up like 21 to 10. Second half, Bengals come back. They win in overtime. Bengals win 27-24. The second half, the Chiefs just utterly collapsed. The Chiefs scored three points in the second half of this game. Second half for the Chiefs was the worst half by expected points added of the entire Chiefs era for Patrick Mahomes. So we actually got that from Shil Kapadia. And then by Q, I love this for quarterback, ESPN's quarterback rating. In the first half, Patrick Mahomes had a 98 out of 100 in the first half, and he had like a 1.4 out of 100 in the second half, which is just bonkers. But weirdly, the Bengals were playing too high in the first half when everything was going right for the, the Chiefs. And then in the second half, the Bengals were playing one high when 
they shut the Chiefs down. I feel like that's completely counter to everything I've heard about everything that's been going on. So I'm curious. So like, how did the Bengals stop the Chiefs offense in that game? And why do you think this game might be the same or different? Yeah, so the the two high, one high thing is usually like it, it's all you need to say. It's kind of neat enough, but generally it's a proxy, right? Like it's it, it, it's a quicker way of saying a larger, more complex thing that's got to be fleshed out. What the Bengals did to the Chiefs in the second half was force Mahomes to either throw immediately on time, right when he had his back foot, right now, balls out quick underneath, be a distribution passer, be a Tua Tungavailoa, be a, a Jimmy Garoppolo, or you're going to have to scramble and create against eight in coverage, right? When we typically think of, of drop eight coverages, NFL doesn't like to run them. And, and the NFL doesn't like to run drop eight, eight guys into coverage, three guys rushing, because the NFL is a pass rush league. The NFL, like across the every league, every defensive coordinator, you ask them like, hey, do you have enough guys that you can win with your four-man rush? They're all going to say yes. It doesn't matter what the team is. Like the, the NFL is a league that believes in having pass rushers. They believe in having guys off the edge. They, they like, you know, you see these colleges walk out with just three down defensive linemen and none of them are edge rushers. This is heresy. This is blasphemy to an NFL construction. Lou Anarumu, who's the defensive coordinator for the, uh, the Bengals, Big Lou, is one of the best in the league in terms of, of being willing to shed preconceived notions, being willing to, to, to step away from like the typical guidelines of how NFL defenses do and don't play football. So when he dropped eight against the Chiefs, it wasn't like, oh, we have two deep safeties and six underneath defenders, two deep safeties and five and a spy. Like it, it wasn't the idea of like, hey, you know, we're just going like to add another dude to zone coverage. We're going to go like three deep safety. It wasn't that. It was saying, listen, we're going to drop into the usual coverage cells that we have. And we're also going to get immediate guys underneath in the middle of the field coming off the line of scrimmage right now. We're going to cover up that, that, that quick underneath area. We're going to cover up, you know, slants and drags, anything that's, that's immediate. We're going to make Mahomes try to throw a second level right when he hits his back foot, throw between zones, let, you know, uh, back then it was, it was, uh, you know, Miko Hardman and Tyreek Hill and, and, and Travis Kelsey, let them win for you right now. But if you hesitate, we're going to have so many bodies back here that your little scramble drill, Travis Kelsey, fine zone, little fine space, buy some time, screw around. There's not enough room. There's not enough space, right? So it's not like, oh, you know, this is the kind of cover two that you can run, that teams do run, that if you run this, it'll beat the Chiefs. It was, no, this is built for Mahomes' tendencies. This is built for the, the way Patrick likes to play football. We're going to make him throw it immediately when he hits his drop. Or if he doesn't, he's going to be kind of screwed. He's going to be scrambling around. He's not going to find the space that he typically does. He's not going to be able to scramble the way he typically does. And that's what Anarumu does really, really well. You see him do this against Lamar with their Keaton on tendency. You see him like when he was playing Tua early in the Dolphins game, they were doing a nice job against, against the Tua version of the Dolphins offense. Tua obviously goes out in that game. He's really, really good at figuring out what your offense wants to do. And then twisting the little dials, doing the little stuff that just plays on your tendencies, plays on the way you like to play football. There's no reason that's not accessible again. The two high, one high thing is like, again, they're large descriptors. They're kind of like easy buckets we can just drop offense into. The Bengals are specific to opponent. The Bengals are specific to the Chiefs. This is how they're going to play the Patrick Mahomes and his tendencies specifically. And it's on Mahomes to show improvements. It's on Mahomes to show maturation. It's okay, if they're going to play me this way, the ball is going to be out immediately. I'm going to let the offense work for me. And even if that means you only score 24, 27 points, hopefully that's enough. So, Stephen, the, how do you, you're Andy Reid here in this exercise because you do, again, have the ability to grow facial hair. So I feel like the Chiefs, though, similarly, like actually have like hair on their chest this season in a way that their offense by EPA per play is actually even better than it's been since like 2018. They're basically top 10 in the last 20 years 
So how have the Chiefs adapted, even though they don't have Tyreek Hill? Why are they like even maybe even a better offense? Because I think they've they have matured that maturity that Soldak was talking about. I think it, we've seen it this year, especially yes. with Mahomes. I think we're seeing him being able to create explosive plays when his first option isn't there. I think that's the big difference and hitting the 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 middle parts of the field in the intermediate areas. Well, that, what do you mean by that? Because I feel like when I think of Mahomes and explosive plays, I think about him kind of like escaping and scrambling and he just is out of ideas and then is tossing it. Yeah, I don't think he's relying on that as much. He still can do it. That's still in his game. He does it every week. But I think we're seeing more explosive plays within the structure of an offense. Maybe he's the explosive play is coming on his second read rather than his first read this time. And I think that just gives them so much, so many more options. It used to be the Chiefs offense was about Tyreek running the deep overs and then Travis Kelsey running underneath on option routes. And if you could shut down those two things, which the Bengals were able to to do with that type of defense they were playing, then they didn't really have answers outside of Mahomes going into to playground mode. This year, I think that's changed. And I think the fact that they moved on from Tyreek and they, they were able to bring in our, our build, a receiving core with different types of talents and guys that could do different types of things has really helped them out and has really helped Mahomes' maturation process. And you're seeing like the nature of his stats kind of change, where the production is coming from, what parts of the field he's throwing to, and what types of coverages he's having success against. Like They're seeing a lot of man coverage this year, which is something that they did not see a whole lot of in the past. And he is tearing it up in various ways. And I, I honestly think like he's a different player than he was last year. And I, I do think we tend to overrate what happened in that second half because the two big plays were just really Mahomes losing his mind. Like he threw a bad screen pass that had nothing to do with the play call, really. Just a bad play. And there was another uh, another turnover in his own area. So I think if they can just avoid those turnovers and figure out a way to or figure out a counter for Big Lou's first counter, because we know where he's going to have something for them then I think they're going to be fine. I really think the Chiefs win this game, and I think they, they win it in a way where we're not questioning which team is better after this week. Yeah, it's worth emphasizing at this stage because I think it's very easy to be like, yeah, Patrick Mahomes, best quarterback in the league, and like that's kind of what we do. Right now, Mahomes is averaging 0.32 EPA per dropback. He's tied with Tua for that first best number in the league. Two when, best quarterbacks in the league, Mahomes and Tua? Yeah, no question. When Tua was the clear leader, he was like 0.34 versus Mahomes like 0.31. Everybody was talking about like, this isn't just an incredible number. It was like one of the best EPA per dropback numbers of the last like decade, decade and a half. Like this, this number was like the, the, the Manning 2013 season, like Rogers 2016 or something. I don't freaking remember the years, but like some MVP seasons, some like heroic, unbelievable seasons. This particular, like, it wasn't just like a great quarterback year. It was an unbelievable quarterback year. So when Tua was having this number, when he was leading the league, every, it was posted everywhere. This is the fourth best EPA ever dropback we've seen in the last 12 seasons of football. Now Mahomes and Tua are tied. Crickets. That's part because it's much more fun to talk about a new quarterback being really good. But it's, it's important to understand. Mahomes is having, by EPA ever dropback, the best season of his career. One of the top five quarterbacking seasons of the last 10 years. This it's is like not, when Derrick Rose won that MVP in 2013 or whatever, because people were just bored of LeBron being incredible. It's just we get we all just get bored of greatness. Yes, like, absolutely. Yeah, and so that's why it's 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 always worth emphasizing that from the moment Mahomes stepped into the league, 
he had a case to be the best quarterback in football. I think emphatically two or three years ago, we realized, okay, this guy is the best quarterback in football. And then we kind of turn our brains off and go, yeah, he's still number one. He's number one and improving. He is the player on the field now is better than the player that lost to the Bengals last year. That is crazy because at the time he was the best quarterback in football. And now he's also still the best quarterback in football and better. And so this is such a huge litmus test for how much have you improved. So on the flip side, the Bengals offense, so they'd have an edge Jamar chase. They've been up and down all season. I, you know, the, I mean, the Bengals offense has looked excellent at times this year. They've looked, they've gotten rocked sometimes back to back. It's been kind of strange. So last year in this game, they obviously came back against the chiefs and Steven, <laughs> I, I I asked you earlier this week, why did the Bengals come back against the Chiefs D? And you said, because Kansas City had a white safety and their cornerbacks were bullied. What? Yeah. What? The, yeah, the, the, the white safety was elaborate? Daniel Sorensen. Daniel Sorensen, a, 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 a fan favorite of the Chiefs fan base, I think. I, I don't know. I actually don't know. But Dirty Dan. Dirty Dan. He That was the whole game on that side of the ball was – the Bengals would run like a deep route on the outside and they would have their slot guy kind of run an out route at like 10 yards. And the Chiefs were going to play too high all game. And it really came down to Daniel Sorensen, like reading between that slot route and that outside route. And he didn't have enough range to cover the outside route. And when you put Jamar Chase there, it, it's hard for him. It, it makes it even harder for him. And the Bengals got a lot of success out of that one concept, just the straight route. And then the out route from number two. And they didn't figure it out in the second game. That was the, the story of the game in the first, uh, the regular season matchup. It was the story of the game in the second matchup. And the with the way the Chiefs play this year, I think they're a little bit better in man this year by the numbers, but it's still the same situation. They still get attacked outside the numbers. They have the yep. fourth most attempts in the NFL this year. They're about league average at defending them, but when it comes to defending T Higgins and Jamar Chase in those areas. I think they're going to have a lot of problems. And I think this is, we said it was a good litmus test for the offense. I think it's a good test for the defense also. Have they improved at defending those receivers on the outside? I think it's going to be a big difference between what they were last year and what they're going to be this year. Okay. So you think that the Chiefs beat the Bengals, Steven? Yes. Solak, do you agree? Very tough. No, I, no, I think the Bengals. No, I don't know. Yeah, Chiefs why are you win. waffling? I'm interested why you're waffling. I feel like the Chiefs are just yeah, a better team. I, I want to hear yeah. that too. So uh, I, I talked about Mahomes being a better quarterback than he was last year. You know who's a better quarterback than he was last year? Joe, Joe Burrow. Burrow. Yes. Yeah, Burrow. Why? Uh, yeah, so the, let, let's talk about the arc of the Cincinnati Bengals, specific to this podcast. Last year, Steve and I were like, <laughs> Yeah, Steve and I were like, this is not sustainable. You can't just live chucking up go balls one-on-one, having Jamar Chase create like thousands of yards after the catch and win all these contested balls. And like your Joe Burrow's taking a ton of sacks. and They don't run the football. Like This isn't sustainable. And then they come out this year after talking all offseason about being like, we know we're going to get more too high. We're ready. And they just weren't ready at all. They had no solution, right? They were, they were siloed on offense. It was They're running from under center. They were passing from the gun. Their play action wasn't working. Burrow was taking a ton of sacks. The improved offensive line wasn't helping. And we were kind of like, yeah, like this is what... The issue was, man, like I, this is what we thought the problem would be. And then they started getting a little bit better. And the ways in which they were getting better were interesting and noteworthy. A big part of the way they got better was some dominant Jamar Chase performances against the Saints and this game-winning touchdown against the Falcons. They were just winning on outside isolation, one-on-one shots, and Jamar was creating after the catch. And it was like, all right, good news. 
you found last year's magic. But the whole point from last year's magic was that it was going to wane and wax. It was going to appear and disappear. You're going to have bad stretches and good stretches. This is what we mean by regression heavy. This is what we mean by not sustainable. Jamar Chase went down after that Falcons game. And it was kind of like, oh man, like I don't know if they're kind of, oh, they're running some more RPOs. I don't know if that's enough to solve the problem. Like they're, they're, they're losing Jamar Chase could really, really expose this offense. And then the offense played well. The, the, the gun running game has gone from like, okay, a nice little wrinkle with some RPOs to being sustainable and decently effective. They've gotten the running backs involved in the passing game more and Burrow's willing to throw it to them early, which means that Burrow's time to throw is going down, which means his sack rate is going down. A big part about Burrow was like, oh, his sack rate's never going to go down. He's always going to be a high sack rate quarterback. Guess what it's done the last few weeks? It's gone down. T. Higgins, right? Your dominant outside receiver, your jump ball guy. He's running some Jamar Chase routes. He's running separation routes and slants and digs, and he's catching the football and creating a little bit more after the catch. So they've found a way to activate T more. Burrow's play style also, like 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 the game Burrow played against the Titans, man, night and day to what he did against the Titans in the playoffs in terms of sitting in there and taking sacks and allowing pressure to, to kind of break the system of the offense. He's buying time. He's quick distributing. He's throwing below the stick, short of the sticks on third down, letting Tyler Boyd solve problems for him, let Samaje Pirine solve problems for him. Samaje Pirine's been great for these guys, the pass catching backs, the Joe Mixon change up, like, and then the offensive line, which took a little bit of time to coalesce, has been solid. You say the Bengals' offense is better or that Joe Burrow's leveled up as a quarterback again? Both. The, the Bengals' offense is better. Zach Taylor is, is, is figuring out some solutions. Yes, it probably took him longer than it should have. Yes, the solutions were kind of a little bit plain as nose on your face, but Taylor's and Brian Callahan are figuring out better stuff. And also Joe Burrow is executing, executing better. Like I remember Steven, you and I were having a conversation in the beginning of the year where we were like, Hey, Joe Burrow's past heat maps, where he targets, where he throws the ball. Looks like he's always playing single high. Like he just always throws the single high beaters, no matter what coverage he gets. I was saying like left field and right field, avoiding center field. Uh, Yeah. So like, like throwing the isolation stuff on the outside. Right. And like, it's like cover two. That's really hard to do, but Burrow would try to do it over the last few weeks. He's I feel like he's been a lot better as like a distribution passer, as like an underneath passer, as like a window passer. So like their offense has improved, and I think Burrow's buying in, and that means his play style is changing and, it, and it's maturing relative to the coverages they're getting. So this Bengals offense has improved over the last month, and it's getting Jamar Chase back, and that to me is nothing to sneeze at. Like this is a if this becomes a shootout game, the Bengals can hang in it, and I think that's a, that's a critical note. I think the Chiefs win. But Cincinnati, you <laughs> I five minutes on the Bengals. But I'm not there. I'm I'm not where where Solak's at on the offense just yet. I I understand why he's there, and I maybe I'm just being stubborn. But like, Bur- Burrow played really well against Tennessee. I agree with that. I thought Tennessee Tennessee's coaching staff and their defensive staff were still able to game that way or game that particular matchup in a way where the game was low scoring. They were able to get the Bengals off the field. They were able to get them in third and long. And I still think that's the Zach Taylor problem. Is he still putting Joe Burrow behind the eight ball, even though the running game is working a lot better. I think they're like top half of the league in EPA per run, but first down, they're still not great. Like if you look at those charts that the PFF guys post that have like win on what down offenses are converting a first down, the Bengals are still really low on first down. And I think first down is still a problem, even though it's improving. And I think we're not going to see it against bad competition, but against competition like this, against smart coaching staffs that know how to game the game, I think that's when it's going to show up. And maybe I'll be wrong. Maybe they'll, they'll score 30 points against the Chiefs on Sunday. But until I see it, 
I, I'm still not a believer in Zach Taylor's ability to to get this off to get the most out of the offense against the best competition. All right. Well, speaking of smart coaching staffs who can game the game, other game of the week. Dolphins are playing the 49ers. This is fascinating. So this is the Ringer NFL Twitter game of the week. So you can the Ringer NFL account will be live tweeting that. You can check it out there. So obviously, this is Mike McDaniel, the Dolphins coach. He used to work for Kyle Shanahan and the 49ers, and he's brought a lot of that system to Miami. And between that and him just I don't know, being like a the the least coachy coach on a sideline ever with all of his mic'd up stuff, which every single week it's like less coachy. It's unbelievable. Um, I just saw that video of him being like, hey, guys, tell me if I'm out of pocket here, but I might just pass it every play this drive. And I'm just like, no coach has ever spoken like this ever. And I know everyone says yeah. that, but it's just so true. So I love him. I, I'm interested in this. Obviously, there's a, so many wrinkles to this game that are interesting, like Tua, Jimmy G, like I feel like half of the best, most athletic skilled players in the league are in this game. Almost all of them are banged up, but whatever. But Steven, we were talking about this in the Dolphins offense is crushing it. They're like 30 points a game last few weeks. This Niners haven't given up a touchdown or a point in the second half since like five weeks. But Steven, we were talking about this and you said, you summarized this whole game and you just said, it's just a battle for the middle of the field. What do you mean by that? Well, both of these offenses attack the middle of the field more than any other offenses in the NFL. Like if you look at Jimmy G's, heat map is throwing heat map and you look at Tua's throwing heat map they look the same Tua's is a little stretched out because he has Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle and they're throwing the ball downfield a little more and obviously the 49ers have weapons that are better after the catch but on the other side of the ball against Miami you have Fred Warner who prevents throws to the middle of the field more so than any other linebacker in the NFL and it's like not even close it's very unique how well the 49ers defend the middle of the field because of Warner. Yeah. So Keegan Abdu of Next Gen Stats wrote a piece on this. wonderful piece everybody should read. Since drafting Fred Warner, the 49ers have allowed 71 completions to the intermediate middle of the field of the last five seasons, which is 15 fewer than any other defense. They have the lowest expected completion percentage, 56.5% to the intermediate middle of the field, only defense under 58%. Sent the moment they drafted Fred Warner, they have been the best team defending the intermediate middle of the field, and it isn't close. And Fred doesn't leave the field. It's because of that guy and nothing and else. He's 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 a three route player. Like this is how most football what, players. What, are what does that mean? Yeah, I was about to explain it. This is how most First. passing plays are designed. There there are are route concepts. There's a clear out route. There's a deep route, a deep element. There's an intermediate element, and then there's the short element. The deep element Goldilocks. clears out, clears out the defense. The short one baits linebackers and second second level defenders up, and then you try to hit the intermediate. Warner is so good at like defending all three of those routes in one play. Like he'll he'll disrupt the the deep route, he'll fall into the zone of the intermediate route, and then right when the quarterback puts his eyes on the running back or the checkdown option, he immediately makes a beeline to that and then tackles the guy immediately. He covers three routes in one play. He's he's a he's like th- three guys in one, and that's why they're so good at defending the middle of the field. And so much of the success of the Dolphins offense has been to his ability to get the ball and then throw it into a tight window in between linebackers. And Fred Warner is one of the best I've ever seen at like feeling what's going on behind him. Yes. And I think the key to both of these offenses is the fact that linebackers, don't, like, mo- like everyone else on earth, don't have 360-degree vision. They don't know what's going on behind them. Fred Warner might have 360-degree vision. I don't know. But it's, it's, it seems like it when you watch him. When you watch Fred Warner, you have to remind yourself that he didn't know the play call. 
Like when you when you watch Fred Warner, when you watch the Niners defense, well, you go, yeah, that makes sense. Like, obviously, you should carry that vertical route until it gets to the depth at which the intermediate route is going to break. And then you should let go of that route. And then you should get under the intermediate route while also keeping your eyes on the quarterback in the event that he throws the short route so you can go get to the short route and make the tackle. Like, obviously, that's the way you should play it. And then you remember that he didn't know that was going to happen. Like, like, you have to remind yourself that, like, oh, wait, like, I can see all 22 players sitting on my couch, drinking my hot chocolate, and be like, oh, this makes sense. And he's doing this, like, live when there's a bunch of other things that could happen. The the football IQ, you hear this, this term thrown around all the time, uh, like, in scouting processes, talking about players, like, football IQ, just understanding how the opposing passing offenses, how their structures want to work. The football IQ on Fred Warner is not just off the charts. It is, it's, it's worlds above the next closest guy. And it's robotic. It's robotic. Yeah. It's like he never messes up. I last year I tweeted and I forget when I tweeted it, but it was just, uh, Fred Warner is the Justin Herbert of linebackers. And I say that because he has that like robotic, never wrong mental process. But on top of that, he's a, f- awesome athlete he does all the right. physical stuff well too so there's like he's six foot three playing well, you're, linebacker you're talking about it in the way that i feel like earl thomas was the key to the Seahawks defense or really honestly you're talking about like a, like ed reed this is how i feel like ed reed was yes discussed yes yes, yes. absolutely yeah. yes so this is critical right because the 49ers play quarters and then they'll, they'll they'll play some cover three and they'll play cover two they just play zone and and like, why won't other teams do this? The 49ers are arguably, probably, definitely the best defense in the league. Like, th- there's always, whenever you have, like, such a dominant unit, you want to ask, like, why can't other teams do this? And if you watch other teams that play split field coverage, right, like two deep safeties, Matt Eberflus's Colts, they had Darius Leonard, Mike Zimmer's Vikings, they had Eric Kendricks, right? Like, if you're going to play split field, you need to have an impactful player in the middle of the field, still in that, that middle area between the hashes, and you're no longer leaving a safety there. You're moving the safeties away from the hashes. You have to have an impactful linebacker. Those other defenses I mentioned, Eberflus, like, you know, and even Eberflus bears with Roquan Smith, right? Okay, the Zimmer, Eric Hendricks, and now you have Ed Donatel as a quarters merchant playing with Eric Hendricks, right? Why aren't those defenses as good as this Niners defense? It's because Fred is that much better, that much better than the next closest guy, right? It's like, oh, just go draft an early free safety. Go get the best free safety you can possibly find. And then you can run the Earl Thomas stuff. No, 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 no. Because the fourth best safety is like half as good as Earl Thomas is. The difference is, is in magnitudes, in degrees. That's why if, if the Niners play zone and Fred can't take away the middle of the field from this Miami passing attack, nobody can. You can't yes. do it. But again, from the, the, the Keegan Abdu piece in next-gen stats, the Dolphins have faced the lowest rate of man coverage this year among all teams. And they have faced the second highest amount of split field coverage, which means they're seeing absurd amount of split field zone because teams are terrified of the speed of Tyreek Hill and Jalen Wall on the outside. So they want to play with two deep safeties. And then they feel like they can't man up those players. So they play with zone coverage. And then Tua just dices you alive. Tua, the, Tua, the, the way that Tua trusts the pre-snap look, the way that he throws to space, the speed of his release so you can't like figure out where he's going to throw the ball and try to jump into the window, and the way that McDaniel just lets routes break to space, right? Like the Dolphins don't run like, oh, go 15 yards down the field, break it 90 degrees, then move across the middle. They say, okay, get to the second level, find space, and just turn around. Wherever the most green is, just freaking go there because we have so much room in this middle of the field. So if Fred Warner, the best split field zone weapon the league has and arguably has ever seen. If he can't take away the middle of the field, 
And two on the Dolphins still get to just run their 15-yard stop routes, throw it at the numbers, throw it at the hashes. Tyreek makes an adjustment. Jalen Waddle makes an adjustment. They just walk down the field. If they can do that against the Niners, everyone has to stop trying to play this team too high zone coverage. It will. If the Niners can't, nobody can. And that's what's so, at stake in this game. Here's the thing. The Niners are the best defense in the NFL right now. They lead in basically every important category. Fred Warner, you guys, you know, they'll write songs about him. But if Tua comes in and dices this defense up, even if they don't have, like, you know, might not have left tackle to run Armstead for this game. If Tua comes in and dices them up, you guys have been pretty hard on Tua this year. Is that going to earn you, is that going to earn Tua, like, respect for you guys? Or, like, how, like, when I'm, if I watch this game with my dad on Sunday, I don't know, like, how am I going to explain to my dad well, Tua had 350 yards against the best defense in the NFL, but like, you know, he's, he's fine. So it's for, for me, like earning respect is always the way that you do it. Like, what do you do? Yeah. Right. Like Joe Burrow last year took the Bengals to the Super Bowl. I've earned more respect for him this year, watching him change his play style and grow than I did last year, watching him throw up 50, 50 balls to Jamar Chase. Like to me, it's about like the, the, the that's uh, wild. The qual well that that's what it is to be a film nerd, right? It's to care about the qualitative nature of the play, not the quantitative nature of the play. Uh, so for Tua, like the if if the, I put it this way, I think if the Niners walk out and play the coverage they usually play, cover two, cover four, cover three, I think they're going to lose. I think the Dolphins are going to put thirty five points on them, and I think they're going to lose. If that's the case, it means the offense is working the exact same way it's worked against the other teams. Sure, the, the Niners right. might win a couple more reps than like the Texans did, and I would expect them to, but the, off well, the, the, the Dolphins' so. offense is still winning the way it's been winning. When I, The game in which Tua will really like lead me to believe, like this guy's fully got it. Like This guy has everything he needs to be a elite quarterback, to be a tops in the leagues, and all of these passer ratings, and all these stats, year in and year out. The game that I need to see is a game where he beats man coverage for four quarters. Because right now, teams don't want to man up Tyreek and Jalen Waddle, And Tua is absolutely, 100%, unequivocally, no Tua is about it, making them pay for it. Tua is but dominating. If, but but is, if this if he has Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle, and like, Steven, I'm curious if you think of this. If he has Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle, and no one will play man coverage against them because they have those two dudes, isn't his job to beat zone coverage and he's been really good at it? No. I, well, I think this is like a the difference between strategy and tactics. I think like the strategy of being sticking we want to stick tight to routes against this team is different from knowing how to do that and i think there are only certain coaches that know how to play man coverage when you when you're at a talent disadvantage like this and one of them is bill belichick the, the team that played the most man against the dolphins this year was the patriots in week one and maybe that was because we hadn't seen this offense take flight yet and maybe they weren't scared of playing man against them but they played man and what they did was they played they they mess with the leverages. Like usually when you're playing cover one, the the cornerbacks on the outside don't have safety help over the top. There's one safety in the middle of the field. There's not safeties going to the sidelines. The Patriots, so you play over the top because you don't have that help over the top. The Patriots were playing underneath, even when they were in cover one, even when there weren't safeties over the top. They were forcing Tua to throw up and over and lead his receivers downfield. What is the one thing he struggled with even when he's throwing downfield? It's leading receivers. It's getting, but yeah. Had, it's every time Tyreek Hill gets the ball, you feel like he's running in the opposite direction of the end zone. Right, and the Patriots, basically what they were doing was trying to create that effect every time if they wanted to go deep. And that that allowed them to do some other stuff. They were on the RPO stuff that that has helped two on early downs. They were on that. They were in the windows. They had extra guys in coverage to put in the middle of the field to negate those throws. Two would, in that game, that was like the most, 
most uncomfortable I've seen them all season. And I remember when we did this pod in week two, we talked about that game. And if you watch the tape, it looks nothing like the two we've seen over the last month. Like he, he was unconfident. He was patting the ball. His feet were getting happy in the pocket. He was throwing into coverage. It was, it wasn't a great game. And I think it's because the Patriots did such a good job of making him uncomfortable by messing with the leverages they played with in coverage by switching up the, the, the two high and one high looks before the snap changing where guys were when Tua looked at before he took the snap and then changing it right after when, after he got the snap, I think that's what you got to do. You got to mess with his mind. You have to, you have to make him think. Cause he's a timing based quarterback. And that's right. So far, right. He just gets the ball and the ball's out right away. And he knows where the ball's going before the ball's even snapped. You have to make him reconsider that. And I think yeah. the Pats did that. And I think the Bengals did that best. But quickly before we move on here, we're going to hear a thousand times the different like Jimmy G and two are going to be compared as, you know, whether are they underrated or they overrated or they glorified game managers to a better than Jimmy. And I just kind of want to hear from you two, Steven, you do our QB rankings in the ringer. For everyone out here who's going to be watching this game, I'm going to hear this a thousand times. What do you guys feel is the differences or pros and cons, however you want to put it, between Jimmy and Tua? I would say the big difference is Jimmy throws those passes over the middle like blindly, like he's going to throw them no matter what. And I think Tua does a better job before the throw of making sure the window stays open and avoiding those those throws like right to a defender. I think that's what he does best is create yeah. windows for throwing. Yeah, there's when I wrote about or when I did the video about Tua, the play sheet, one of the things that I talked about was how Tua is coached differently than Jimmy, right? Like the 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 way that that McDaniel has iterated this Shanahan offense is such that they don't maximize yak. Like everybody's brought up like, yeah. oh, this isn't the Shanahan offense. Tua's not really the Shanahan offense because there's no yak. Yes, because that's the way they coached it. They, they're, they're not asking Tua throw a receiver in stride so that he can catch it while he's running and then and then turn a field and go. This intermediate middle of the field that we're talking about is the the in terms of like areas of the field, it's the number one area of the field by EPA per, per pass attempt to that area. This is, this is, there's nowhere better to throw the ball than 10 yards down the field between the numbers because you can hit a guy in stride and then you can turn up field and run. So you're getting yak with 10 yards of the targets. Incredible. Also, yards after the catch for people who don't just yeah. casually throw unpronounced acronyms. Yak. And so, so the Niners, it's Jimmy, throw the guy in stride, throw the guy in stride, hit him in stride, turn up field and go. And because of that, Jimmy will go to lead a receiver and accidentally throw the ball directly at a defender who's waiting there. Tua doesn't throw to lead the receivers. He throws to split the defenders. Wherever those two zone droppers are, one guy's in the hook, the other guy's in the curl. Like there, are, there are these guys underneath zones. He just throws to, in between those two dudes. And then Tyreek and Waddle will get there and slam on the brakes. Trent Sherford will get there, slam on the brakes, or adjust, or dive down, or jump up, and correct that throw and, and, and go ahead and catch it. But that's coached. That's, that's the way they decided to play with this offense. And so... Your 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 difference in execution, like Tua is going to avoid more of those dumb picks because of the way he's coached. I do think Tua still has blind trust in the offense, though, the way that Jimmy does. Because like you watch that that Houston game, Tua tried to throw like three passes, four passes into areas yeah. that just didn't exist, voids that were not real. There's like six bodies there, and like what are you doing? And it's because he's so confident that that space is actually going to open up that at times he'll just trigger and go. I think well, is Tua he has, space is going to open up or is he like, I have Tyree Kill and Jalen Waddle. Just give them the ball, even if they're not totally open. He'll do it to other receivers, too. Like he'll throw yeah. Trent Sherfield into a safety also. Yeah. So so there's I think that like saying that one has like more trust in the other is, is probably like it, it's the offenses are, are different. So that makes the comparison trickier. I do think Tua has a faster release 
better pocket mechanics. And that's crazy because like that was the whole point of Jimmy. But I do think Tua is better in that regard. Like Tua, the way that he like drops back on time, gets to his back foot and releases, especially as a lefty who has to like turn at weird angles, is really, really impressive. And it's a huge part of this offense because it means the timing is perfect. Okay. So lastly here, what do you guys think wins this game? I think Miami wins. I think this is just a bad matchup for the defense. Like we like we've been saying, they play a lot of zone coverage. They would have to change their game plan, which I think they're capable of doing. Like I go back to the the 49ers Packers game in the playoffs. I think the 49ers changed what they did a little bit to take away Devontae Adams. I'm not putting it past D'Amico Ryan's for coming up with a game plan to stop this because I think he's capable of doing that. I just don't know how likely it is, especially in the middle of the regular season where like game planning doesn't get as much as attention as it does during the, the postseason. Yeah, I think that the Dolphins win. And I the way that the 49ers win this game is by running the ball, ball control, clock control, which Shanahan's going to be really excited about that. He's going to love that. He's going to do that. The problem is you have to do it for 60 minutes. You do it for 50 minutes, and then you give the Dolphins a couple extra possessions in the fourth quarter, and, and even though you have a multi-score lead, we've already seen the Dolphins handle that, right? So if you're going to play ball control, clock control, keep this low scoring, and, and win it that way, you have to do it the whole game. You can't drop once. That's really hard to do. Dolphins' run defense, too, with Bradley Chubb has been better. So it's tricky. Yeah. If they can play man on defense, the 49ers, and survive, then I think they have a really good shot at winning this game. I just don't know if they're going to try, and I don't know if they can survive. Okay. I'm going to take, I'm taking the Niners because I just feel like the Dolphins, the Dolphins have been really good, but they played terrible defenses like Bears, Texans. So I, I kind of want to see them do it against the Niners. But all right, we'll see. If you guys like the Dolphins, the Niners are giving them four points. So you can take that. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. There's no better feeling than a personal win, and the State Farm personal price plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with the personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. This episode is brought to you by Modelo. What does a true fan look like? It's cheering the loudest. It's never missing a game, no matter what. And for that, you deserve an ice-cold reward. Because you are a fighter, and Modelo is your reward. Modelo, the mark of a fighter. Shop delivery or pickup options near you at ordermodello.com. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Imports, Chicago, Illinois. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit jiffylube.com. This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. I was traveling internationally last year. I was in Mallorca. I didn't know the island well. I said, let me head to the north, head towards the water. Let me go on Hotels.com and see what they have available. Something preferably on the beach, maybe even a gym. Not only did I get those things, there was a kid's session with exercise, gymnastics in the water, pony rides, a train. It had everything, and I didn't even want any of those things. 
but at least I knew they were there just in case I changed my mind. And now finding the perfect hotel has never been easier thanks to the Hotels.com app. Whether you're looking for a family-friendly, right, all-inclusive or a relaxing spa weekend, you can find exactly what you need and compare hotel prices, ratings, and amenities side by side. So start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app. That's our double header for Game of the Week. Let's get to Monday morning headlines and or memes where you guys are good at predicting the games, pretty bad at writing headlines, somewhere in the middle on the memes. The memes are better than the headlines. Pretty, pretty clearly. First up here, we got the Titans are at Ben Solex Philadelphia Eagles. Go Birds. Eagles are giving five and a half. This is obviously among other things, the A.J. Brown revenge game. Yeah, girl. Solak, who do you think wins Titans-Eagles? What is the headline and or meme on Monday morning? So when uh, A.J. Brown was traded, he tweeted and then very quickly deleted uh, Tennessee, I love you and you will forever be in my heart. And I can say this now, dot, 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 all caps. This was not my fault, but I wish you all the best love. The Monday morning headline slash meme will be this screenshot over AJ Brown's stat line after the Eagles beat the Titans. Tennessee fans, I love you and you'll forever be in my heart. This was not my fault because AJ Brown's got a really, really big game against Tennessee. He's first been looking forward to this game for a long, long, long time. And he feels very strongly about the fact that Tennessee decided to move on from him, didn't pay him what he thought he was worth. Secondly, when the Eagles can't be the team they were against the Packers, super run down the field, right? Run between the tackles, rip off five yards, run the quarterback run game. And they're going to struggle to do that against the Titans. Jeffrey Simmons able to play. Even if Danico Autry is out, Titans are really hard to run the ball in early downs. When the Eagles can't be that running team, they become an isolation throwing team. And it's either Devontae Smith or it's A.J. Brown. The Titans' corners are really good. Christian Fulton, Roger McCurry, the rookie, both been excellent this year, but they struggle for size. And we saw against T. Higgins, they can get beaten down the field in those isolation one-on-one spots and those, those jump ball 50-50 spots. That's A.J. Brown's music, especially going up against the Titans team that he played. So the headline is, this is not my fault. And it's A.J. Brown being able to beat the Titans. Well, it should be a very close and hotly contested and difficult game, but I do think the Eagles pull it out in part because they have the star receiver that the Titans don't. Steven, you were like emphatically nodding during that. No, I agree with everything he said. The Eagles are going to win. I think it will be very close. I think it's going to be it's going to be a go ball game for uh, for Jalen Hurts. If he hits on the go balls, it's I think it's not going to be close. If if he doesn't, then I think it's going to be a close game. I don't trust the Titans' offense to blow anyone out. I think it would it it will look like a game that looks looked like the Cincinnati Titans game from this past week. But I I expect the Eagles' offense to have some success against a defense that I think we're both fans of. The Eagles don't lose this game. If they beat the Titans, the next games are the Giants, Bears, Cowboys, Saints, Giants. And the only tough matchup of that really is the Cowboys. And so suddenly it looks like the Eagles could win like 16 games. They might not even have to participate in week 18. But like if they don't lose this, they'd have to drop a they basically I will say, the Cowboys. The Eagles will struggle with the Giants because the Eagles really struggle with blitz teams. Uh, this Titans game, though, has a lot of ways it can get out of hand for the Eagles because the Eagles defense coordinator, Jonathan Gannon, believes very strongly in the philosophy of Ben, don't break light boxes, force them to run the football, you know, let them have their little four yard and five yard gains. Don't let them beat you with the explosive pass. And that's great when you're playing like explosive pass teams that want to be passed. They're not going to do that against the Titans though with Derrick Henry, are they? I'll be honest with you, Danny. They very well might. This that they, they don't have, they have never played the Eagles all season, 11 weeks 
have never played a package with three linebackers on the field. They, if they want to stop the run, they go extra defensive linemen. They'll go like five defensive linemen. And even recently, they've had six defensive linemen fronts. And that's all well and good. The problem is once Derrick Henry gets through the first level, which eventually he will, if the guys waiting to tackle him are Kaiser White, Reed Blankenship, and Marcus Epps, Derrick Henry's going to score. It's not going to be a nice little six-yard gain. It's going to be a 65-yard runaway train. They're like two explosive Henry runs can change. And like by explosive, I mean like like 40 plus, 50 plus yard touchdown runs literally could be the difference in this game because the Eagles are very obstinate with how they play defense. Extremely obstinate. But is that when like the Titans offense is at its best? I feel like the Titans offense is at its best when it can run the ball and the defense is still trying to stop it. And that's when the the explosives open up downfield. Because if they don't get those explosives, this passing game is not very effective. Right. I hear what you're saying. Tannehill right now leads the league in EPA for drop back against cover three, which is usually like when teams want to stop the run, they add the extra dude to the box. They play the deep middle safety and they play cover three. And then you run all of your in breakers and you run your isolation routes on the outside and you're fine. The Eagles won't give them that. But what I'm saying is like the... The Eagles will be losing, like, like this is what they did against Washington. They lost to Brian Robinson to the Washington running game, which has been like a decent running game recently, for two and a half quarters. And then they walked out in the end of the third quarter and continued to do the same stuff they'd done all game. Because Gannon believes, like, well, yeah, we just got to execute on third and one. Once uh, execute on third and two, and once you execute on third and two, we'll be fine. And then they gave up like an 80% conversion rate. And yes, like, a defense that forces the opposing offense to convert on like 80% of their third downs to win is in theory a good offense until the opposing team literally built the offense to do exactly that. That's how the Titans want to play. That's what they want to do. So it's very weirdly strength against strength for that reason. All right, now I you've talked me into the Titans winning this game. So that's thrilling for me. It's you, mentioned the Washington, you mentioned Washington winning. The next one we got here, the Washington Commanders are playing at the New York Giants. And this is... An insanely crucial game because both these teams have seven wins and they're in the bottom of the NFC East. But right now they're both playoff teams. And in a really weird quirk, these teams play twice in the next three weeks. Like Washington's schedule is literally Giants go on their bye week and then they play the Giants again. So like the way that this works, honestly, there's really only eight NFC teams for like the seven spots. It's like the entire NFC East, the division leaders and like the Seahawks, like those are the teams. But Basically, Washington and the Giants, their odds of making the playoffs right now. They're basically both at like two and three odds. But if either one of these teams sweeps these two wins against each other, they basically go to almost 100% lock to make the playoffs. And the other one is like in dire straits. So this is kind of like a massive game. It's not like a winning in playoff game, but it's kind of like the top of a doubleheader like that Braves-Mets series at the end of September. Sorry, I don't mean to talk about baseball twice in an episode for you guys. That's I know Go Phils! It's, but anyway, it's a crucial game. I, as a misanthropic Giants fan, I'm going to go. I think that, I think the commanders kind of bullied the Giants in this one on both sides of the ball and win. And I think that the headline is, I can't decide either NFC beast or NFC least, either one being like, basically like Giants fall to last place in the division out of the play, outside looking in on the playoff race, because that's probably not the best one, but. I really don't bad headline, but I don't know the Washington's front seven is so good and the Giants are so injured. And like, I know everyone knows they've been injured, but like, I don't think people still get it. Like the Giants were one of the most injured teams in the NFL. 
And then last week, they just like they just lost six more starters last week and then had to go in on Thanksgiving. And like everyone knows they're hurt. But again, like the three cornerbacks they had to play on Thanksgiving Day had like two combined career starts. These people are not these people are like mildly unqualified to be backup players and they're playing. They're starting the games for the Giants. It's unbelievable. So that it's hard. We're recording this the Thursday. I don't, the Giants could get zero starters back. They could get like eight starting players back for this game or somewhere between zero and eight. But overall, I feel like the Giants are probably going to get a little bullied on both sides of the ball. And I'm a little nervous about that. Yeah. Mike Tanier on, uh, on Mina Kimes podcast this week had a very interesting note, which is that uh, the Giants defense defending runs with motion, which is all the only way Washington runs the balls with all their pre-snap Scott Turner move guys around shenanigans. They're one of the worst events in the league, like bottom three and like yards per carry surrendered, like success rate surrendered. And it makes sense because they, they live in man coverage and they want to add guys to blitzes. So if you change the passing strength and move a dude across the formation, everybody at the second level's job is changing right at the snap. What gap they're supposed to be in, they have to bump over so on and so forth. There's, That's there's- a really important point. And I think people, if you've played Madden, and you hold down R, whatever the trigger is, to, like, see the play. And then, like, you you know, like, in man coverage in Madden, like, you can actually see when people's, yeah, like, yeah. assignment changes. That's yeah. what motion does, right? You're literally changing, except in Madden, they just automatically do the play. And in real life, they have to all, all of them have to all know at the same time, hey, our job's all changed because that guy moved half a second ago. Yeah. And even if all of them get their jobs correct, think about the difference between being lined up over the C-gap at the snap versus just barely getting your feet in the C gap at the snap. You mean like C that, gap? You mean like inside, like yeah. the tackle? Uh, uh, and like the C so. gap is just a, a placeholder here. Like wherever your responsibility is, if you just got there as the ball was snapped, if you were like in movement, it just gives the the opposing offensive lineman just like an extra quarter second of time of leverage, an extra couple inches, and that's all that matters in the NFL, right? And that's why like. Like, you know, the nerds go crazy about runs with pre-snap motion, and some of it is a little bit overblown. But in instances like this, like, it's really, really impactful. And Washington yeah. has, we talked about earlier about Miami not seeing a lot of man coverage uh, because of the receivers, but Washington hasn't seen a lot of man coverage this year either. And I think it's mm-hmm. partly because of the receivers in Miami, but it's also the motion thing. I think teams that run a lot of motion don't see a lot of man exactly. coverage in general. Yeah, so it's it's a little bit like, is Wink Martindale going to give here and maybe call a different game? And given the wealth of data we have on <laughs> Wink Martindale's defense, the answer is no, he will not give. No, he well, will call look, the game he would like to call. There's yeah. a world where, like, I, I like how one of the things with Wink, where they blitz a lot, is basically they're like, does your running back actually know how to, like, change the pass protection and stuff, like, instantly? And, like, there's a world where, like, Brian Robinson, who's, you know, a rookie who obviously missed a lot of this season, and Antonio Gibson, like, just screw up, and Taylor Heineke just gets rocked. Basically, if the Giants win this game, I think it's because they got like six players back from injury. However, both the, both these teams are not exp- like they can't do big plays. And Bill Bill was texting us this morning, Solak, about like can huh? the Giants win? And he also Bill wanted it was debating like taking the under on this game, like an adjusted line, like under forty points, under thirty five. And the thing I, my mind went to was like neither of these teams can do a forty yard play anymore. Saquon isn't the same anymore. Saquon hasn't been the same since his arm came out of his shoulder and looked like Harry Potter when he has no bones in his arm. He just hasn't been the same guy. And Washington under Heineke is like a bottom three team in like big plays with like the Rams the last month. So I think that this is just like a big ball control game. And you look at it, Washington's going to be better like running the ball on the Giants and putting together 14 play drives than the Giants. I just think that John out the Washington defensive line is so annoyingly good and they don't even have Chase Young right now. So frustrating but i think they lose i think the bottom of the division and then the seahawks beat the rams and suddenly the giants aren't even going to make the playoffs suddenly so i'm very sad about all this 
other, otherwise in New York, though, Jets are playing the Vikings. This is like such a weirdly big game. Jets are seven and four. Vikings are nine and two. Um, obviously, Vikings just in and out of fraud watch. Sorry to all the Vikings fans. Jets like coming off this Mike White high. Steven, do you have a headline and or a meme for Jets Vikings? I have a know? headline. It's not a good one. Not a creative one. Obviously. Who do you think wins? What's the headline? How dare you? It, it was it, white hot Jets upset Vikings. I don't know. My, no, the, it's what's good. Happen? I like that. White, I like hot, white jets hot Jets is great. No, that's, that's boring. That's boring. I, oh, my God. It's yeah. good. That's good. Yeah. It doesn't have enough like uh, like uh, uh, a sardonic layers for Steven. Yeah, Steven right. needs at least three commentaries. I was trying to figure out a way to call Zach Wilson a loser, and I couldn't come up with it, so I'm very disappointed in myself. So, but to be clear, you think Mike White's actually going to be the good, good white? <laughs> <laughs> so play off the good wife. A little double entendre for you. Uh, no, uh, I think I do think Mike White's going to have another good game. I watched Mike White's last game, and it, it was fine. It was whatever. It was like a seven out of ten. But he was an adult, and that was yes. the big difference. He could get through his progression. He would throw a check check down when he was supposed to throw a check down. He wasn't yeah. bailing out of pockets, and I think that we got to see how good of an offensive coordinator Mike LaFleur is because he has a quarterback who will actually run the offense and knows how to run it. And I think against this type of defense, th th these are the types of defense that I think the Shanahan tree really likes to, to go against. A defense where they pretty much know how they're going to play. And I think the way that the Vikings play defense, which is usually a lot of quarters, a lot of cover six, allows you to call more conservative pass plays and attack the flats, which Mike White's yes. capable of doing. And I, I, as long as you're not forcing him into high degree of difficulty throws, he's going to be fine. And I think the, the Jets are going to be fine. And I really like this matchup for the defense going up against Kirk Cousins because it just like plays into his like worst traits as a quarterback. He's going to throw a bunch of cover checkdowns. He's going to, I think he's going to throw a couple interceptions. I, I really think it's going to be a bad game for Kirk. Well, in the Vikings offensive line is very exploitable. The Jets defense yes, has been great. I think the Vikings, I forget the name, the right guard or whatever is literally the worst, maybe the worst offensive lineman in football. Bill Barnwell had a great note that a guard has given up seven sacks. That's insane. All the metrics don't like Ed Ingram. When I watch Ed Ingram, he seems to me like he's fine. But Ingram, Ingram's the guy you're worried about there. Uh, Christian Darasaw, however, their left tackle is the player yeah. who's been out for multiple weeks uh, with a concussion. He remains out that he did not practice on Wednesday. The Vikings are not putting a time quote, not really putting a timetable on Darasaw's returns. This is potentially his third week missed with a concussion, which is I mean, critical. Uh, uh, he's had, I think, multiple concussions this season, if memory serves. Yeah. So Darasaw's health something critical for each Viking team, but also just critical to watch for the sake of the young man in the franchise. Uh, Dare saw a tremendous player, but it, it's, it's a bad situation out here with, with, with his, uh, his concussion, their backup left tackle, Blake Brandle can't play. Not yeah. like talk, talking about some of like the guys, the giants put out onto the field. Randall's just not, he's not built for this. Uh, and, and going up <laughs> against the defense, like, just, I think he could be a guard. A guy, pal. I, yeah. It's somehow such like an emasculating, like he's just he's not built for this. <laughs> well, he's I a always, man. I, so scuffy man. I just like, I always feel you always don't want to be like, he sucks. Like, I always have, like, think, like, what if, like, no, that's, you know mom? what? You know what? That's so fine. It's like, he sucks. Can't handle that. You know what's nicer? He's not built for this. That's like, you know, <laughs> polite. Everyone if Blake wants to hear Randall's that. If Blake Randall's mom themselves. were listening right now, she'd then... rather hear he sucks. Yeah, because you, so? you can come back from sucking. Like, Tua was like, yeah, last year he was saying, oh, do I suck? If you're not built for it, you can never become good enough. Because, <laughs> like, if you're like, he sucks, it's like, no, he doesn't. That guy, Ben Sloak's an idiot. Right, if okay. Ben Sloak's like, 
he's not built for this. You're like, my son is built for this. I'll have right. you know. It, it's like that. That's really offensive for the parents too, because they're the ones that technically built him. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. Okay. Solak was like weak genes in that family. Stop <laughs> <laughs> what I said. Mrs. Brandle. This is what you meant. Um, it's fine. Blake Brandle is, I don't think that he has stinks. the movement skills necessary for the present. Like tackle. Was not constructed. He'd probably be better as a tall guard. And that is my, it's my Blake Brandle take. Like a security anyway, guard at the mall or like a, a, no, a right left or guard. left guard? Oh, okay. Uh, Garrett Wilson. The, this game is going to have Jets fans believing Garrett Wilson is the second coming of Jerry Rice, man. Like the, the 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 free access that you get in the passing game against the Vikings, plus White's willingness to just kind of throw underneath and let let the yak guys do what they do well in this offense. Yeah, like Wilson's going to have 200 yards and 190 of them are going to come out for the catch and it's going to be awesome to watch. I also I think this is a barn burner. I think it's a ton of points. I think it's a last possession sort of a thing. And honestly, like if the Vikings win this emphatically, I'll start to take the Vikings more seriously because this is the sort of defense that like I'm in my head. I'm like, yeah, like this is like a similar defense to the Cowboys defense. They're going to delete the Vikings once again. If the Vikings can actually handle this game, like Vikings fans have been like, why don't you go seriously? Beat the Jets, beat the Mike White Jets, beat them handily, beat them emphatically on both sides of the ball. This this is this would be a, a, a legit impressive game for the Vikings to win. I don't think it happens. I, I didn't realize how I don't think I realized how bad Zach Wilson was until I watched Sunday's game play like the Jets are just like a much more fun team to watch than they have been with a quarterback who just is normal like just that's why all the Zach Wilson stats of like you know Mike White comes in and the stats on Mike White were incredible it was like he was the best passer rating a Jets quarterbacks had in like eight years it was like he had better by QBR by basically everything than Zach Wilson's like ever had and what's crazy is all the good players around Zach Wilson and so I'm curious about I kind of want to do like an like explain this to me like I'm five I feel like so many of backup quarterbacks have kind of been coming in and been playing better than the starter in part because it's just like, well, they just do what they're told. Like we're saying it's Mike White is not incredible. He's not like Patrick Mahomes. He's not even doing it. It's just like, well, he just when the guys are open, he throws it to them. And when they're not, he checks it down. And it's like, oh, my God. But like, look what happens when he does that. And like Taylor Heineke comes like or with the Mike White. The Jets had like 11 active skill players last week. He got the ball to 10 of them. All the receivers who were mad were then happy. Taylor Heineke comes in, just like does the offense, gets Terry McLaurin the ball. Look, wow, Washington is better. And then even to a lesser degree, it's like Geno Smith and Russell Wilson. Oh, look, Geno runs the offense. Like, I know there's a selection bias inherent in this because the quarterbacks who get benched are bad. However, like, Mm -hmm. am I crazy for thinking like, why are backups... Am I crazy that the backups are coming in and just doing what they're told and just kind of being better than the starter? I I, th- I do think like part of it is the the trend of looking for these quarterbacks that can do do like Patrick Mahomes type things, but they aren't. Act- they, it, I think people are missing the point on why Patrick Mahomes or Josh Allen or Justin Herbert or any of these guys are so good, and it's not because they have that that part of their game where they could do the the amazing physical things. It's because they do that on top of running the offense like a real quarterback. But then when you get these these flawed prospects like Zach Wilson, who all he had was the trick shots at BYU, he can't run an offense. And he can't do the Patrick Mahomes stuff at the NFL level. So you're you're basically getting the boast or the worst of both worlds. And yeah, I think Mahomes the same goes for Carson Wentz. Curry because of like the trick plays and like Curry can pull up from 40 feet. But it's like Steph Curry can also run the offense at an unbelievable level right. and like get to the basket and get the easy stuff. 
and do the other stuff. And Mahomes is like that. But then you get a guy like Zach Wilson just doing pull up 30 feet threes and missing them all. But he can't actually yes. run an offense either. Yes. Yes. Exactly. Zach Wilson. I, I forget. Somebody said it. I forget who said it. But they were basically like Zach Wilson is like out of BYU. Zach Wilson's the quarterback you'd get if you just like showed a guy exclusively Aaron Rodgers highlight reels and never any coaching tape. And then you're like, go play quarterback. And he's like, all right, this is how it works. You just kind I think of it was run. you that said it. <laughs> was it me? I thought it was somebody That's else. a wise man once said. Yeah, yeah. Either way, it's a bar, regardless of who said it. Um, I do. I, I there's definitely something about uh backup quarterback being more willing to just kind of play within the structure of what the offensive uh, staff is asking. There's also a uh, internal reflection. There's an introspection that occurs when the quarterback changes along the offensive coaching staff, right? Like I think you know, uh, all right, like Taylor Heineke throws to Terry McLaurin a lot more than Carson Wentz did. I think some of that is because. Heineke just plays within structure a little bit better. He's a little bit faster getting rid of the ball. I also think some of that's because once they switched the quarterback, Scott Turner sat down and said, okay, we're working with a fresh slate. What do we need to fix about our offense? Number one, we should probably get Terry the ball more. You know what I'm saying? Like there's a little bit of a circular reasoning there, yeah. chicken and egg, where it's like the, the backup comes in and starts doing the stuff that it felt very obvious the starter should have been doing. Like Mike White, just get the ball to the playmakers. But some of that is because the offensive coaching staff has an opportunity with a new quarterback in place to kind of look, you know, reassess, do an autopsy and say, oh, well, we got to prioritize this, right? And, and our guy who hasn't started yet will prioritize this for us because we're going to tell him that's what we're doing for this week. And that's why you typically see like, Cooper Rush comes in, has a couple good weeks, and then it tails off. Bailey Zappi comes in, has a couple good weeks, and it tails off, right? The life cycle of the backup quarterback is typically about four weeks. Like, everybody remembers the Mike White Bengals game last year. And then Mike White played a couple more games, and nobody really remembers those games because is they that because they just have the defenses have tape on the quarterback and they're like, he also they, got hurt against the Colts. Let's not, let's yeah. not try to take away from Mike White mania. He wasn't playing as well, right? And that's because, yeah, like I think defenses say, okay, this is what they're going to be with this quarterback. And typically because the guy's a backup, he's limited. You can't like, you know, yes. create more and more iterations of a new offense around him, right? So yeah, there's 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 some circular chicken and egg stuff that also happens in this process. I would also add that like, it wasn't like for Mike White, the reason why it was so drastic, in my opinion, was that like, it's not that Mike LaFleur got to call different plays. He got to call real football plays instead. He wasn't just calling yeah. RPOs every first down. He was Screens. actually able to call a quick game and stuff. Yeah. And that made a world of difference. It makes a world of difference when the whole play call sheet is available to you. So uh, important note here, which is go back to this Jets Vikings game. Don't forget that the Jets tried to sign Kirk Cousins like the Jets. You know what I mean? And that. I think to a degree, Kirk is kind of like the king of yep. what we're talking about. Of like, go out, do the offense, do what you're told, maybe to a fault. And Stephen, we did a podcast in August that was every quarterback in the NFL on the Kirk Cousins scale. And it was just like better than Kirk Cousins, worse. Cousins, of course. Do, do you have like a master's in Kirk Cousins, a PhD, a high school degree? Where is Mike White on the Kirk Cousins scale? Does he like high school dropout? Is he like he majored it in undergrad? Does he have a master's in Kirk Cousins? Like, where is he? Uh, no, nah, he's, he's in community college. I'll say that. <laughs> Two year degree. He, he wasn't quite Associates. good enough to get into. He wasn't quite good enough to get into like a university. He's, and, and that's no shade to anyone going to community college. Yeah. I went to community college, but that's where he is right now. He doesn't have the physical ability to ever be like, I don't even think he has a physical ability to be like a guy that we even question whether he's the guy or not. I think like in three weeks, it's going to expire, like yeah. Solak said, and it's going to look pretty ugly because he has no athleticism whatsoever. If you look up his like comparisons on mock draftable, it's like Tom Brady. 
like literally Tom Brady and like Tom <laughs> Savage. So like we're well, probably to be clear, better you're saying athletes. that it's a bad thing is your point. Your point's that the Tom Brady yeah, like you, is not good. Yeah. Being compared to, to being compared to Tom Brady is usually a good thing, but not when you're talking about combine performance like or like physical the field ventures. Vertical jump. <laughs> the mental is the only comp you really want. Yep. Fundamentals. Yes, this is really funny because when Mike White was at Western Kentucky, I was in like the throes of draft coverage and there was legit like round one hype for Mike White. I remember there people, it. There were people like, you know, who's the sleeper in this 2018, 2019 class, whatever the heck it was? Mike White. Mike White. And you just he's just like a good pocket passer in college. Like, okay, we'll see what this looks like in the league. And here's what it looks like. All right. Well, we'll see how this week goes. All right. Thank you, Solak. Thank you, Steven. Thank you, Mike White, for all the content. Thank you to Isaiah for production help, Isaiah Eduardo. Thank you to everyone for listening to the Ringer NFL show. We'll see you guys next week. This episode is brought to you by 20th Century Studios' Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. As a ruthless king builds his empire at the expense of the remaining human race, a young ape will fight for the future of apes and humans alike. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes, enter the kingdom in IMAX on May 10th and in theaters everywhere. Get tickets now.